Hi, and welcome to This Week I Learned, your audio guide to the most surprising discoveries and fascinating studies of the week. I'm your host, Lauren Hansen, an editor at theweek.com. This week I learned that your argument style can predict future health issues. If you're the type who lets it all out or the person who bottles all your emotions up, you may be in for some trouble down the road. A new study looked at 20 years worth of data, observing 156 middle-aged and older heterosexual couples. Every five years, the couples were videotaped in a lab as they discussed events in their lives in areas of disagreements and enjoyment. Scientists then studied their facial expressions, their body language, and their tone of voice, tracking displays of anger, like lips pressed together or a knitted brow or those raised voices. They also tracked displays of stonewalling, like facial stiffness, rigid neck muscles, and little or no eye contact. The data was then linked to health symptoms measured every five years. And what they found was that spouses who flew off the handle with outbursts of anger were more likely to develop chest pain, high blood pressure, and other cardiovascular problems over time. On the other hand, the spouses who shut down emotionally were more likely to develop musculoskeletal ailments like a bad back or stiff muscles and stiff joints. Scientists have known for years that negative emotions are associated with negative health outcomes, but this study identifies the specific emotion and the specific ailment that might make you rethink those little meddling arguments you have with your loved ones. Serenity now! Serenity now! What is that? Doctor gave me a relaxation cassette. When my blood pressure gets too high, the man on the tape tells me to say, Serenity now! Are you supposed to yell it? This week I learned that social media may actually be addictive for teenagers. In the first of its kind study, scientists analyzed the brain activity of teenagers as they used a photo sharing app similar to Instagram. Researchers found a few curious results as 32 teens looked through 150 photos on a screen. For one, when the teens were using the social media app, the region of the brain that was especially active was the reward circuit. Now, just a quick refresher on the brain's reward circuit, this is the area that helps control and regulate our ability to feel pleasure. Feeling pleasure is obviously a good thing and encourages us to repeat those behaviors so we can continue to feel good and also help us make sense of an otherwise very complicated world. So this is good news when the things that activate the reward circuit are natural and positive, like eating chocolate, exercising, or listening to music. But this is not so great when those reward circuits are hijacked by things like drugs or generally negative behavior. So getting back to those teens, social media is lighting up the same area of the brain that gives them pleasure, so they return to the social media again and again for that same pleasure. Researchers also found that teens were particularly perceptive to the number of likes, which isn't all that shocking if you've ever been or known a teenager. Not one to strike out on their own, teens were more likely to like a photo that had more likes. But what's really curious is the type of photo seemed to influence parts of the teens' brains. The more risky the behavior in the photo, the less their brains were active in areas with cognitive control and response inhibition. 
And what that basically means is that the more the teens were exposed to these risky or negative behaviors in the photo, the weaker their own be careful filter became. The study highlights the risks in social media for teens. The apps and all the likes may actually be addictive, which is actually fine so long as the message teens are receiving is positive. This week, I learned that even dictionaries make mistakes. When such an authoritative text as a dictionary includes a word that isn't a word, does that make the non-word a word? Well, in some instances, yes. The word gravy, for example, became a word in the 14th century because a translator misread a French cookbook. The word was supposed to be grain, as in G-R-A-N-E, which means anything used in cooking. But researchers believe the word was scribbled kind of terribly, and the translator used a V instead of an N, and voila! Gravy made its way into our lexicon by accident and never left. But there are words that do appear and then are banished for eternity. Perhaps the most notorious of these types of ghost words appeared in the second edition of Webster's New International Dictionary in 1934. Tucked between the word Dorcopus, which means a small kangaroo, and Dora, as in golden in color, was the word Dord, meaning density. Now, what should have stood out to the editors and fact checkers at the time was that this definition of Dord didn't really include much else. There wasn't any usage or suggested abbreviation, no origin, nothing. Dord's inclusion was, in fact, a mistake. You see, in the second edition, abbreviations for words were supposed to be collected in a separate section in the back of the dictionary. So, in 1931, a card was prepared with the suggested abbreviation for the word density. The card read capital D or lowercase d slash density. So, whoever read the card read it wrong and poof, Dord, meaning density, made the cut. Dord lived for five years circulating the second edition dictionary until an editor spotted it and banished it from all future editions. And finally, this week I learned that back in the Victorian era in London, you could get a job delivering meat to cats. A fixture on the London streets, these peddlers were known as the Cats Meat Men, and they helped service the city's estimated 300,000 cats. The Meat Men weren't just men either, they were women and children who would go to poor and fancy neighborhoods alike, going house to house, selling meat to the pet's owners. They were kind of similar to milkmen in that they had regular roots and very regular customers. The meat was usually horse scraps from local slaughterhouses, pretty gnarly stuff, but the neighborhood cats and kittens didn't care. Whenever the meat seller would arrive, they would swarm, mewing incessantly for their morning nibble of meat. And that does it for this week's episode of This Week I Learned. For more, go to theweek.com slash audio. And if you like what you hear, tell us by subscribing to our podcast or give us a rating or a review on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening. 